Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of Launch AMA, where we ask startup experts about anything and everything. I'm your host, Sam, the VP of Programs here at Launch Academy. I have a gentleman here with literally decades of experience in in the technology world. Um, This is Baron. Welcome, Baron. Hey, pleasure to be here. First of all, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Oh, yes, that's perfect. So, Baron, if you're reading this, you're going to read, you probably heard burnt or, or something like that. Um, but Baron is a former software engineer. He's also an ex-consulting partner with Deloitte, multi-time founder, uh, CEO, COO, CFO. He's done a lot of C's and O's. Uh, Baron is an investment partner and co-founder at Northmark Ventures. Uh, it's a high-value-added venture capital firm investing throughout the Americas and specifically on advanced tech, SaaS, and fintech. Um, but he's also an active advisor, mentor, board director, um, in Canada, Baron acts as a board chair for Beanworks Solutions. Um, he's also a corporate director for Screenscape Networks and Proskita. Finally, he's also a board observer on Redwood Markets of Houston. Um, that, did I read that okay? Yeah, that's, that's what. What that's, did I miss? What did you miss? Um, <laughs> you missed that. Uh, you know, a lot of folks that listen to this podcast are from other places in the world. You, you missed that I'm an immigrant to Canada. I came the way I most. I, I legitimately did. didn't know that. Yeah. but I guess it could have been a proper person. Proper introduction. I I arrived with no English, not one word of English. Really? Okay, where did you arrive from? Uh, From Austria in in Europe and uh, with my family when I was, uh, you know, in grade school. Okay. And didn't speak a word of English, so... uh, And was that that in Vancouver or where was it? No, no, that was in beautiful Winnipeg. Winnipeg, So it was like cold to cold. They were trying to kind of compare the weather. Exactly. Yeah, I, I've uh, I made the smart move to other places uh, where the winters are warmer, like Vancouver. <laughs> I'm very happy here. I've been here for many years. That's awesome. So, I mean, like that's actually a great place to start because, I mean, in terms of your career, at least according to LinkedIn, you know what you don't live on LinkedIn. I can't I can't stalk. Um, but you started working for the city of Winnipeg, and then you followed that with a Del- uh, probably a decade worth of Deloitte running their management consulting. So, like, you know, from Okay, I'm a little bit biased here because there, there's a lot of Asian parent stereotype. But, you know, outside looking in, you know, you're working at Deloitte, you're working one of the big four. That's a pretty promising career. But you kind of left all that for, for the skinny jean and plaid shirt world. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, you know, some people will look at what I've done and say, you know, why would you ever stop being an mm-hmm. engineer? Look at how in-demand engineering is, especially software engineering. You can mm-hmm. have a job anytime and so on. But... Uh, you know, we have one life to live and you want a little variety in that life. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I worked in Winnipeg in technology as an engineer for eight years yep. and left to go to business school. And I mean, part of my goal was to get away from technology. And that's, <laughs> that's why I went to Deloitte and went into management consulting, uh, you know, an effort to get into finance and other things that interested me. But technology kind of haunts you. And, and once you kind of have an understanding of how things work and if you're reasonably current, Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets in your blood and I've really never actually gotten away from it. So that's the theme through everything I've done. I've always been involved with technology and technology companies, technology products. And, you know, I really enjoy that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't fight it as much as I used to. Uh, mm-hmm. But but there is still a fight. Well, there, there's a there's a fight because, you know, if there's a, if there's any one thing in your life that you completely focus on, then you have to ask yourself, what am I missing? What mm-hmm. are the other things that what's holding me back that I don't understand? And and, and that's, you know, that's what speaks to a little bit of a variety in your life. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the neat things about the entrepreneurial journey 
And uh, because the definition of entrepreneur is generalist, especially in the early yep. stage, you have to do all kinds of things. Yep. And, you know, your fundamental question is, why did you ever leave Deloitte? And, mm -hmm. you know, how did you explain that to your, your parents? And that's the answer right there is that at some point in time, when you work for a very large organization like one of the big consulting firms, mm -hmm. your job starts to get quite narrow. And uh, you have the simple job of selling and delivering work mm -hmm. and making a small contribution to the running of the firm as well, along with all the other partners mm -hmm. um, and taking care of your people and hiring, uh, hiring good folks mm -hmm. at some point in time. Uh, you know, if you're the kind of person I am and maybe the kind of person that watches this kind of podcast, then you want to get your hand on more of the levers mm -hmm. that, that have to do with starting and running a business. And the only way to do that is to start your own. And that's what I did. I, I left and the next, literally the next day after I left Deloitte, I incorporated my first company. What was that? That was a company called Maple Lane Interactive in beautiful North Vancouver, BC. Nice. And we were a computer game development studio. So we designed our own uh, internal IP computer game uh, products. Mm. And we produced one product and uh, sold the company on that one product. Oh, wow. Do we know the name of the game? Or? The name of the game is... Um, uh, Freeriders North Shore Spirit, which was a oh. freeride mountain biking game, uh, first person game, and uh, uh, it's fabulous. I'm still proud of it. I wrote every line of code in that oh, wow. game. Uh, worked with lots of other talented. And that was people. really your first kind of first foray into yeah, completely uh, bootstrapped business, no outside money whatsoever. We did it all internally with our own resources, and and we all put our shoulder to the wheel that we're yeah. involved with it. It was lots of fun. Very so. Enjoyable. I want to I want to dive down memory lane because you're you're going from from you know going to to an office every day, and you're doing something that's not even remotely close, other than if I guess if you're still using a computer, but. But, you know, gaming in technology specifically is very different than I presuming anything you were doing at Deloitte. How, like, what, I'm trying to, I'm kind of trying to prick your brain. What, what did it feel like at the time? Like, especially like if you have family, if you have assets, I don't know what your financial situation was. Um, but, you but feel like how, a buffoon. Yeah, yeah. You feel like a buffoon. You, you leave something you're very comfortable with that you've done for years and that you you believe to be comp, yourself to be competent at. Yeah. And you, you know, I, I mean, I, I keep joking and I joke with people at Launch Academy that, you know, there was no Launch Academy. There, were, yep. there was no support for a young technology entrepreneur in, yep. in 2002 when I started my, my company, mm -hmm. my first company. And you made, I made every mistake in the book. And that's why you do things like that, because you're the type of person who wants to put yourself off the deep end a mm -hmm. little bit. And and that's when you when your learning starts to accelerate again and that is not easy that is not easy and i think where my job now is very similar to my job mm -hmm. then is you know i work with people who are trying to do something that they're trying to learn how to do at the same mm -hmm. time as they're being called upon to do it and if you if you've been an entrepreneur yourself then you're much more accommodating of the people that are in that situation yeah uh it, it's it's uh, you know, there's very, very few investors out there um, who are really, truly successful investors who weren't entrepreneurs at one time or another. There are some, mm -hmm. but there's not many. Mm -hmm. And then like, but even at the end of the day and, and even diving into, you know, investment now, building a business is always going to be a risk, right? So you're, you're giving up generally something you know or something stable to go do something that you can own. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I forgot how many businesses, honestly, there's at least four or five. There might be a couple more that I, I don't remember. 
but does it get easier? Like now you're, when you dive full time into something, when you're invested in a project, maybe literally, maybe financially, are you still nervous? And yeah. Well, I, 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 I'll liken it to walking through a completely dark room, a yeah. black room that has a bunch of obstacles in it. You don't know where the obstacles are. The first time you maybe walk a little too fast in that room and you bang your nose on something and it's a surprise and it hurts and it's mm. uncomfortable and painful. Um, once you realize that you will always be in a dark room full of obstacles and you're going to bump into things and that's just how this game works, mm -hmm. then uh, d does it get easier? No. Does it get more <laughs> comfortable? Yes. Because at some point in time, you know, you've seen some of the, the obstacles that you encounter before. You've seen mm -hmm. them in your own situation. And if you're smart, you've surrounded yourself with other entrepreneurs and you've learned from their experiences as well mm -hmm. and and you just know you're going to bump bump into that next wall in the dark and yeah, yeah it's going to hurt your nose a little but you won't be surprised so does the, so in that analogy maybe i'm diving it a little too deep does it matter how strong you are and how many bumps you can take yeah i think i think some people are meant to walk in dark rooms and bump into <laughs> things and some people aren't uh there was a uh you know there's a period of time you know, the, the period of the, the, the celebrity investor. And I'd mm -hmm. like to think that that period is coming to an end now. I hope it is. <laughs> but there was a time when, uh, you know, if you weren't doing your own startup, the, you know, your, question, your parents would question, you know, stop this, stop this doctor thing. Mm -hmm. You should become an Internet entrepreneur. That's <laughs> where the money is and the security is. And that's complete silliness. Uh, you know, not everyone should become a brain surgeon. Not mm -hmm. everyone should become, you know, a Navy, naval sea captain. And not everyone should become a technology entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, you both have to have the affinity for it. You have to enjoy the space. Mm -hmm. And there are some personal skills and aptitudes yeah. uh, that you want to have that will make your life easier. Yeah. Uh, if you're terminally risk averse, if you can't handle uncertainty, if you can't mm -hmm. handle constant learning this isn't the game for you. You should probably find something else to do. Yeah. Luckily, the world's full of people who like yeah, it. Yeah, because I, I think for, at least for a hot minute, the entrepreneurship was the sexiest word in the world that people couldn't spell. Um, but, but at the same time, it was very heavy focusing on, on passion. Um, but I've, I've always kind of felt like passion has to be combined with some sort of ability. I could be passionate about, I don't know, Japan and, and, and all that for all I know. But if I don't speak a lick of Japanese or have the ability to learn, I'm probably not going to make it there. Yeah. Right. So, so I feel like that is a little bit understated in, in the sexiness because, the, because that's, that's grunt work, right? Like if I'm learning Japanese, if I'm trying to do all those things, like no, nobody wants to watch a podcast about me trying to learn Japanese, right? Like it's, it's, it's under, you know, it's under in a room studying, working hard, um, so on and so forth. Um, but, um, I, I just wanted to have a little bit deeper is, is, you know, from gaming, you, you've also touched him, obviously you were a big part in blockchain, um, very early on, um, but also FinTech, um, what made you jump to all these kind of different industries as opposed to just like, you know, you built a successful game. Why not double down and make more games? Well, the, the, the problem, you know, as always, the answer has to do with the time and the place, mm -hmm. um, when we were winding down with that business, as it turned out, we wound down because mm -hmm. we sold the company. Yeah. Um, we were faced with either, you know, taking an offer that was placed in front of us, which was a good offer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not a, not a retirement offer, but an yep. okay offer. 
um, versus doubling down and spending enormous amount of money uh, to tool up to develop for the PS2, which was this new mm -hmm. hot new piece of, of technology that had just State come out. And, yep. and if your game wasn't on the PS2, then you, know, you weren't going to sell a lot of copies. And we were looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars to tool up to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So that was the situation. And, and we, we just looked at, you know, as any business person would look at the options that we had in front of yep. us. So we, we took door number one. Yeah. Um, so then you have to ask yourself, you know, what do you do next? Um, I did some consulting and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, luckily I... Uh, encountered some members of the community, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people that are still stalwart members of our community that, that many of us would recognize. And mm -hmm. some of those folks had started this weird concept called an incubator <laughs> in Vancouver. That incubator uh, was called um, uh, Boot Up Labs. Yep. And which was, you know, maybe the proto incubator in all of Canada, if I'm yep. not mistaken. And they were desperately looking for people who had run startups and preferably people who had had an exit. And they asked me to come and do some mentoring. Yep. And really all my relationships uh, and everything I've done since then came out of that, you know, and that includes my longtime relationship mm -hmm. with Launch Academy that I'm a big supporter of. Yeah, no, and we, we definitely appreciate it. Let, let, let me go off on a tangent a little bit. I didn't write down in our, in our notes, but what is it about mentoring from, from a selfish perspective? I, I don't want to talk about, you know, social good and all that stuff but if you're an entrepreneur and you've done an exit or you know you you obviously know some things you're not just brand new to the game why should someone become a mentor well i can be super selfish here and yep. i think that's what you're encouraging me to yeah. do is to think very uh kind of very uh pragmatically yeah um I'll, I'll tell you this that essentially every good thing that's happened to me as a result of my you know in my career since that first business mm -hmm. has happened as a result of things where I've, I've, I've helped other, other people in the community. Mm -hmm. When I came out of that business, I made myself a little deal. I said, I would take 20% of my energy, my daytime mm -hmm. hours, and I would put that back into the community because we had no community. Mm -hmm. There was the Game Developers Association had a meetup every couple of months. Thank goodness for that. Yep. But in terms of general technology entrepreneurialism, there was nothing. And suddenly we had boot up labs and we had other meetups starting to come together. And yeah. I just put a bunch of time into that. And, you know, honestly, other people's mileage may vary, but everything good that's happened for me mm -hmm. has come out of relationships that were built there. Um, meeting someone who introduced you to someone to introduce you to someone. Mm -hmm. um, there is no downside and only upside to, mm -hmm. to putting it out there in the community. I think Brad Feld, uh, founder group investor yep. in Boulder, um, you know, has a, one of his one of his principles. It's called give first. And, yep. and that that says just just if you can help someone, just do it. Don't ask mm -hmm. yourself what you're going to get out of it. And I think you'll find two kinds of people that participate in the community, even mm -hmm. in Vancouver. You'll find those that expect something immediately yep. and those that don't. In my observation, those that don't expect something end up with Getting much more, more in the end. That's, oh, yeah. that's super cool. So I know some people will be listening to this and, and they'll say, okay, Baron, like it's true. You, you invested 20% of your time in your community, but you had already sold your company. I'm still very much in the middle of, is this going to be a success or a failure? We, we don't know. Um, how should they be spending their time in terms of, you know, I have 8,000 fires to put out presumably for my startup, or I can answer Sam on Slack. Well, let me be super clear. As I said, that wasn't a retirement exit. Mm -hmm. I still had rent to pay. Mm -hmm. But my getting involved in the community and trying my best to take what I had learned and pass that on was yep. a fundamental part of my making a living. 
mm-hmm. at the time. And yep, there were times when I was wondering where the rent was coming from. And, you know, that's a, that was a big change for me, having yep. been with a big firm and so on and so forth. But that is life as an entrepreneur. You go through those ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, you know, part of what you're doing as an entrepreneur is building things. That's yep. what's fun for many of us that do this. And when you're building something, you don't get the final result until the end, exactly. which means you're investing in the future. Mm-hmm. And you know, helping other people and being involved and really taking an interest mm-hmm. in their success is one strategy for doing that. Mm-hmm. You can look at it as a very selfish strategy if you want, but it, it works. Yep. It works for them if you're adding value and it works for yourself as well because people appreciate yep. the hand. And actually, actually, just as a side note, like that's, that's one of the things I, I hate and I love about building relationships and networking. Uh, I hate looking at you when you're an angel investor, when you're when you're the CEO of a successful exit, and then that's when I'm coming to you for for conversations, for favors. I would actually, and it sounds very strange to say this. I would much rather be you're coming out of a hard quarter, you're, you you've hit rough times, and that's when I like to open the conversations because I feel like that's when people would need support the most, right? Yeah. They don't need support when you're when you're you're on a high. Not to say you don't, but but less so versus versus you know when you've you've just dropped dropped your startup and you're feeling down i think that's when when the community needs to come in the most and that's when it's most valuable mm-hmm. and i also for me personally that's when it's most interesting yeah because yeah it depends what it depends what you're coming for help yeah. for as well exactly if, if you're coming with like introduce me to the investor that you just made a bunch of money for because yep. i'd like to get money from them yeah that's the right time to come yeah but re- remember we're all human beings and if you if you agree with me human beings learn 80 percent of their knowledge from failure not from mm-hmm. success we're much better at taking apart why we failed rather yeah. than taking apart why we succeeded and you know the time to talk to people i have another interesting little policy whenever someone i know in the community has a good outcome mm-hmm. i'll take them out for lunch or coffee or a beer or whatever mm-hmm. and i'll ask them tell me the story tell me what happened how did your exit go if that's what it is what did you learn and so forth because i don't have the time to make every mistake myself and I mm-hmm. and I want to learn from from other people's experiences and and I think that goes to your point is sometimes yeah. the time to ask people you know let's get together and and, yeah. and give me your best is right after they've had a major failure because mm-hmm. guess what they just had a major learning I promise yep do you have a coffee budget <laughs> I have a very large coffee budget. No, so Alex one of our co-founders actually does have a coffee budget just just for exactly what what you uh Yeah. what you just described. But switching gears a bit. So we haven't caught up in a while. Um and and as Baron's kind of alluded to, he's a longtime supporter since day 1 of Launch Academy in so many different hats that I'm not going to go through. But the last time we were we were together, you were literally just coming off a plane after spending a year in New York. What why were you there? Uh, so one thing I realized in the course of working in the technology business is, you know, you get, if you're, if you're honest with yourself, you get better at evaluating what you're good at, what you're Mm -hmm. not good at, what interests you and what doesn't. And, you know, my goal was to more and more end up over on the investment side of the business. And since I didn't have a giant pot of money sitting in the bank to Mm -hmm. just decide one day that that's what I was going to be, I had to ease my way into that and kind of learn and prove myself and, and, and so forth. And um, so that that was an ongoing process that started many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. But where that's ended is with a couple of fantastic partners in, you know, our investment firm called Northmark Ventures. Mm -hmm. Northmark Ventures uh, invests in the things that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. you know, hard technologies, especially fintech and and blockchain and uh, uh, AI and things like that. And we operate 
around North America, theoretically elsewhere in the world as well, but I mean, the big opportunities we've had have been in North America, and we had a, a series of opportunities in New York. And mm -hmm. there was the opportunity for me to just pack up and move. Uh, and in fact, it was cheaper given the amount of time that I was going to need to spend there than to mm -hmm. do it otherwise. And we had the opportunity to get some help with some of those costs. And so that's what we did. My partner and I picked up and we moved to New York. And um, it's my second time there because I'd spent yep. some time in the Deloitte years in New York as well. Okay. Uh, sometimes you just have to be where you want things to happen. <laughs> and that could be Vancouver, you know, for those that are considering moving here. Yep. And it can be New York or London or Los Angeles or Kuala Lumpur or wherever that is. Sometimes you just need to be on the ground for a while. Mm -hmm. And it was very, a very, very good investment on our part to be there. Cool. And then so maybe for yourself personally. So pardon me, there's gonna be a lot of rap quotes here, just just the way the podcast goes. Jay-Z says if you can make it here, and specifically New York, you can make it anywhere. So after a year there and you know, yeah. before, do you agree with that? Well well Jay Z's quoting Frank Sinatra, who I think yeah. said it first before him. If I, and Dang. maybe somebody said it before him, but yeah, probably it's absolutely true. Um and but it goes for a lot of places in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but New York is special. Uh, New York <laughs> special. New York is is a very very difficult place to live. Mm -hmm. It's difficult because it's very crowded. Yep. The infrastructure can barely handle the number of people. It's a very expensive place to live. The hustle never ends there. Mm -hmm. I mean, we think that Vancouver is an expensive city, and and mm -hmm. you know people in other places might think that they live in expensive places. Yep. Um, you really have to experience places like London and New York to really understand what expensive means. Mm -hmm. And you know, as a result, there is very little tolerance for low performance. Mm -hmm. There's very little tolerance for laziness. There's very little tolerance for lack of competence. People just wash out of the system very, very quickly if they're not adding value there. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, you know, this is why jazz musicians went there in the <laughs> 30s and 40s to test themselves and see whether they can hack it. Yep. And that's always been kind of what New York means to me because the, the, the hamster wheel moves very, very fast there. And if you can add value and have people say, you know, I'm, I really appreciate that. Thank you for, for, for playing that role, whether mm. you got paid for it or not. Um, when you start to get good feedback from the city of New York for being able to operate in that environment, that's worth something. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with Jay-Z and Frank and, <laughs> and anyone else that says All that. the other guys that already yeah. made it. Well, what specific about startups, though? What is what is what would you say the startup scene is there like, and what have you learned about building startups? And you know, let's say tomorrow you're going to start off a new thing. What learning would you take from there? That experience. Well, one thing has to do with the fact that it's a big city. I mean, New York you mm -hmm. know, has you know, call it 20 million people yep. if you look at the whole tri-state area. Yep. There's a lot of people there, and that's a big market. And that means that the person who has the experience that you want to take advantage of is around there somewhere. Mm. That is something that any very, very large place can give you. And because New York has been so entrepreneurial, going back to its very, very earliest uh, years as a Dutch colony, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, that there's a lot of value in the people that are there. And if you're an entrepreneur, then you are valued in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's the backbone of the of, of the economy there. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think there's some benefit there. Second of all, if you're in certain 
specific niche areas. And FinTech, which is one of the places mm -hmm. we operate, is absolutely one of those. I mean, New York is probably the place in the world. If yep. you could only pick one, that's where you want Financial to be. Financial capital. London would be number two. Singapore would be up yep. there. Hong Kong and so on. And there's mm -hmm. other places as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, New York would be at the top of the list. And if you're starting a fintech company or you've started a fintech company somewhere and, you know, even in Vancouver, and now you want to expand into a large and difficult market, that would be a great place to, to bang your head against. Would you? So, so actually, let's, let's curve that a little bit, because I think a lot of a lot of our listeners are either in Vancouver ready looking to, to expand in the North American market or they're actually looking at Vancouver. It's like, maybe this is a place that I could work with and use that to, to go to other places. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's start with the first one. If you're in Vancouver, would you, and you know, you've had some moderate success here, would you immediately go after one of the giants like New York or would you kind of inch your way there? That, that's a, a super specific circumstantial <laughs> question. Yeah. Right? It depends on the, on, on the situation. Uh, the one thing not to forget is that uh, you know I'm lucky enough to have an American work visa, mm -hmm. uh, but moving to the United States is very, very difficult. Yes. And getting more difficult all the time. So that is a problem. If you can't be there regularly, mm -hmm. um, then, you know, that changes the, the nature of the opportunity for you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, is the United States an important market? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But, you know, is New York specifically the next place you should go with your fintech startup? Not, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some things are perfectly done well here or, or, or elsewhere. Yep. I mean, one of the promises of the Internet is you should be able to do anything from anywhere. Yeah. Um, our, uh, we have a big development team that's employed by our, by our company that develops both for outside clients and for our portfolio companies. And they live in Whitehorse, Yukon, a big chunk of them. Far and, from New York. <laughs> yeah, far from New York, but they, they, they deliver in mm -hmm. New York. And that is amazing that we can do that. Mm -hmm. And that was not possible 20 years ago. And it's the norm now, which mm -hmm. is kind of neat. Which, so let, let's, let me scale back that question a little bit and maybe rephrase it. How do you decide what goes on where? And like your, your dev team's in White House, um, you live in Vancouver, your clients or your, your projects are in New York. Like where, what, what, what goes through your mind when you're kind of making those decisions? Well, there's, you're, 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 there's two questions there. Yeah. One it has to do with the internal structure of your business and one has to do with your marketplace yeah. and your customers. And those are completely separate things. And that's yep. luckily one of the things the internet has done for us is we mm -hmm. can make different decisions about where our people are than, we, than where our customers are. Mm -hmm. So in terms of your, where your people are, uh, it's not easy finding good engineers. It's not easy finding good co-founders. It's not mm -hmm. easy finding good salespeople. Yep. And you, you know, if you're flexible and able to let people operate from where they are or incorporate them in your business in other ways other than moving them, mm -hmm. uh, then that can really, really work well for you. And, you know, that's where Vancouver is an excellent place to do that from. I find it a fantastic place to live and, and mm -hmm. to operate on the global sta stage as a, as a technologist. Uh, so that's that side of things. Mm -hmm. We have flexibility we've never had before. So actually, just to cut in, what gives Vancouver um, advantage in terms of building a global company for, um, from your experience? For, first of all... Despite what we, we whine about here, it's not the most expensive place in, at all. It's a, it's a pretty reasonable place to live mm -hmm. for the quality of life that mm -hmm. we have here. So if you want a place where you can really, really work hard, but you, you want to be in a safe city with mm -hmm. uh, the opportunity to spend a little time outdoors, a place for your children to go to good schools if mm -hmm. you have kids, these types of things, 
uh, this is an excellent place to choose. And many people from all over the world have chosen it for that reason. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people live here and have businesses elsewhere, whether it's in Asia or Europe or, mm. or, or elsewhere. And there's a good reason. This is just an amazing city, and that's yeah. why I live here. Cool. Sorry, I, I cut you yeah. off, but you, had a, you were about to talk about, uh, I think, the, oh, the customer else. side. The customer, uh, the, side yeah. the customer side is different. When For most businesses, not all, but most types of businesses, when you're going after your beachhead market, your first few customers, chances are you're going to be very personally and, and directly involved mm-hmm. in a personal sell to convince those first few customers to try your product out. Yep. So it's nice to either be somewhere where there's a decent beachhead market or be prepared to fly there or go there or be there in order to make that personal appeal. Now, that isn't necessary with every type of business, um, but even with a lot of consumer businesses, you know, mm-hmm. that those first few sales are, yep. you know, Sam, please, will you, will you try my <laughs> Do product me solid. and give yep. me some feedback and tell your friends if you like it and yep. don't tell them if you don't, you know, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. So, but once you're through that, uh, for most types of businesses, whether they're consumer or B2B or B2B to, B2C to B or mm-hmm. whatever your, 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 your market structure is, um, it matters less. And as a matter of fact, you're going to have to reach out to a broad market no matter where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And if you're selling to Los Angeles, you, know, you're, you just might as well be in Vancouver versus New York. Hmm. If you're selling to Kuala Lumpur, it doesn't matter whether you're in New York or Vancouver. Nobody even knows or cares anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you want to think about what is right for the early stage of your business, where you can get support, where there's a good community, where there's a good beachhead market. But after that, you know what? You're going to be working, hopefully, uh, with a global market regardless. Mm-hmm. And what advice would you have for somebody that's already conquered their initial market and now they're moving to a second market? Are they, is it a rinse and repeat thing? Is there anything different that you would recommend they, they pay attention to? Well, what, what, I'll, what I'll tell you is I'll tell you what we look at in that yep. situation as investors. And we look at something we call the playbook, right? Mm-hmm. And the playbook is, what did you learn from your first market? And did you codify that? Did you build systems that you can now test in a new market? Mm-hmm. So that the second market is easier to penetrate than the first one. And hopefully the third one easier again and yep. so forth. If you haven't learned anything and you're going to do it all from scratch and it turns out to be totally different, then you know what? You're looking at a very steep hill with your second market and it's like starting a new business. Mm -hmm. If you've learned and you've started to come up with systems that you're going to try to repeat, then that's the way to do it. Mm -hmm. And as investors, when we see a playbook and someone can put something written in front of us and say, here are our steps. Here's what we learned that we're going to try and repeat. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, that that gets us uh, interested. That's as, awesome. As investors. And I mean, like, like, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about Northmark. Like you guys call yourselves, I'm, I'm reading this verbatim is abnormal. No, no, we don't call ourselves abnormal. You call us abnormal. We're, I call you abnormal. We, we say it's, it's, you know, technology investment, uh, you know, not okay. as usual. Uh, not as usual. So and, that's my bad. Yeah. And the, the idea there is that what's happened in the, in the game the last little while, mm-hmm. our, our, in the, our industry, the, the technology investment businesses, there are a lot of businesses out there whose fundamental strategy is to make as many investments as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, numbers game. And it numbers game. Yeah, uh, it's spray and pray. Yep. And there's, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that strategy. 
as long as everyone involved, including the entrepreneur, knows what they're getting. Mm -hmm. You are not going to get a lot of attention from a spray and pray firm. Mm -hmm. You are going to get money, but make sure you have other sources of good advice and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth. The occasional introduction that someone makes for you is not enough. If you're, if you're trying to help, we're the opposite of that. We make a very small number of investments. We aim for one to two investments a year. Okay. And we lean in very, very heavily. We lean in with our technology development team. Mm -hmm. We lean in on the business side. Um, all three of our founders are entrepreneurs. We Mm -hmm. have a lot of experience. And that's before the term sheet, right? Well, absolutely. Yeah. Because that's part of our due diligence process is working with people is the best possible way to learn about them. Mm -hmm. And, but that doesn't stop when we make an investment. As a matter of fact, now, guess what? We're in the boat together and we're going to, we're going to do our bit of rowing Mm -hmm. uh, to try and get us where we need to go. So we can only do that if we have a small number of investments that we have high conviction Mm -hmm. around. So that's why we say we're Mm -hmm. a little bit unusual Mm -hmm. because. And then on top, on top of that, you guys. Um, make open your your technology arm as well, right? It's not not just advice. It's yeah. It's not just money. Well, very, and very often yeah. it, that's part of our investment is yeah. that we make a cash investment, we mm-hmm. make an in kind investment. We don't want our portfolio companies to be, to be dependent on us for development services forever. Mm-hmm. But you know how hard it is to hire. Mm-hmm. If you're hiring people because they're available, that's a bad idea. If you slow down your hiring and hire the best people that really want to be part of your business and you have someone helping you develop your product in the mm-hmm. meantime, then that's a better outcome. And that's what we aim for. Mm-hmm. And then and then another thing I read was it does not invest in, or you guys don't invest in first time founders. Is that right? Yeah. Why okay. not? Um, I, I told you before, actually, you did not realize it, but um, human beings learn from mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I'll be very honest with you. We prefer a failed founder oh. over, very a, interesting. over a, you know, I mean, and, and by the way, when we say first time, uh, you know, we have a pretty liberal definition of yep. the first time. But when if someone comes, it's their first business, they've, they've not worked in the industry that they're working in, and they have this fantastic idea, uh, we generally say no to those. And most mm-hmm. investors would say no to those. Mm-hmm. But what we prefer is a founder who has, who has been participated in running a business before, preferably mm-hmm. a small business, has experience in the industry or has some, yep. some connection with the problem that they're, that they're trying to solve mm-hmm. and preferably has made mistakes that they wear as proud badges and they're happy mm-hmm. to run you through them and tell you what they learned from them. And, you know, second, third time entrepreneurs really fit, uh, you know, those criteria very well. Would you say that that's common among investors? I guess, you know, people not such as yourselves, would they have the same train of thought? There's, a, you know, investor is a is a huge broad spectrum. That's very and, fair. And you have you have uh, angel investors yep. who you know someone's close friend comes and says, oh, I want to quit my job at at, at PwC and I want to start <laughs> a thing. And well, yes, yeah, Sam, that's great. I want to support you, Sam. So I'm going to be here in your friend's family and fools round, and I'm yep. just going to help you get going. And none of those things may matter to you in that context. Yep. And, you know, honestly, I've done investments like that, and many mm-hmm. of us have, but they're generally small, and, and, and you generally do them for other reasons other than yep. financial return. Um, but I think it's a common uh, criteria mm-hmm. that inv- investors have, whether they admit it to the entrepreneur or not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're a blowhard and you, you, you just talk about your successes in that important time that yeah. you have with a potential investor and you never talk about your failures and what you learned, mm-hmm. then you're probably not doing yourself any favors because that, you know, that is a, an, an important part of, of uh, 
you know, building trust with an investor is, mm-hmm. is, is having that conversation. And then what, a, what about the first, because every, everybody's going to have a first time, right? So what about the first time founder? What, would, what advice would you give, give for someone like them that perhaps hasn't experienced failure yet, or at least in, in an official sense? Well, you're going to experience failure, <laughs> okay? So I, I was lucky enough, the first time I did you know, a technology startup, I had mm-hmm. a reasonably good outcome mm-hmm. the first time out. And like most buffoons, I thought it you know obviously me. Super smart. Mm-hmm. Great, made all kinds of great decisions, but of course that was not true. And even if you looked at the at the at the data in detail, you could yeah. see that we got very very lucky. And um, I think as a first time entrepreneur, you just have to understand that you're going to rely on luck the way all entrepreneurs do. You're going to need a bunch of that, but you need more than ever in your career. You need to surround yourself with people who have done these things before, mm-hmm. and. No, it's not your job to take every piece of advice that you get. But when mm. you start to get the same piece of advice from three or four people yep. and and you just don't want to do what people are suggesting, then yep. you really need to ask yourself you know, whether you're letting your ego get in the way or not. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to make mistakes as a first-time entrepreneur, especially as a first-time entrepreneur. You're going to make a lot of them. And you know, the more you can learn from other people, uh, mm-hmm. the, the better off you are. Uh, you don't even know how much you need advice. You're literally in that dark yeah. room for the first time. Yeah. And then, I mean, I'll, there's going to be some people listening to this and they're going to be, and I think we've already touched on it a little bit, but they're, they're listening to what you're saying. They're listening about Northmark and they're like, this guy is exactly what I need. I want to pitch you. What would actually excite you uh, beyond what we've already talked about? Well, um, I can... I can give you all kinds of platitudes that you'll hear from every investor. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, you got to be in. It's got to be in a space where we think, as a firm, we can add value. Mm-hmm. So you know, we don't know a lot about the ice cream business. Mm-hmm. You know, we're probably not going to be very helpful in the ice cream business. And there's probably a better investor for you if you're in the ice cream business. Um, but if you're using hard technology, if it's AI, blockchain, financial technology auction and exchange systems, two-sided marketplaces that involve money, um, these types of things. Uh, and you're looking at solving a real problem in a mm-hmm. very large market. There's a platitude, you know, a very large market mm-hmm. with large potential. Then, yeah, we're always interested. Um, we look at, um, you know, between 10 and 14 pitches a week. Mm-hmm. And some of those are just decks and a few yep. of those will be, uh, calls or in-person meetings, yep. but like every investor, you know, it doesn't work out 98% of the time and yep. that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. We may not be the right investor for everyone. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that's a very interesting stat at, at 10 to 14 decks a week. That's, that's hundreds of decks a year multiply by, by, by the number of years. So you've seen a ton of decks and you've seen a ton of pitches. Oh yeah. What, what stands out in, in a general pitch? And, I, and I'm being very vague about it because there's all sorts of pitches that you can do. But, but like, is there, is there something that you're looking for when, 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 you're, when you're looking at a pitch? And not even, not even from an investment standpoint. You're just like, hey, that person, I believe that person can do something because of something they pulled out of a pitch. In, there are some things in the pitch, but that's not... Mm-hmm. There's another answer to your question that mm-hmm. goes beyond the pitch, which I'll mm-hmm. talk about in a second. In terms of the pitch, um, I like to see ambition balanced by realism. Mm. 
And you know those incredible hockey sticks mm -hmm. with no visible means of support mm -hmm. in terms of growth pl plans that you see in these companies? You know, most of the times those are unrealistic. I call those pony wishes. But you're right? Canadian. You love hockey. <laughs> yeah, well, I love hockey. But, that, but you know, the, the, the hockey stick should be on the ice touching yep. the puck preferably. Mm -hmm. um, so that... that, that it's that realism and mm -hmm. that honesty. If you get the feeling that someone is giving you what they actually believe mm -hmm. rather than what they think you want to hear, mm -hmm. then that bodes well for the conversation. So trust has to be transferred. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a reason for me to trust what I'm, what I'm, what I'm reading. And mm -hmm. when it's completely blue sky out of the, like, like absolutely no way, there's no basis to believe mm -hmm. that this has any, any chance of actually happening. By the way, that's not to say it won't, because nobody can predict the future. Yeah. And the worst kind of investor is the investor that tries to predict the future. And yeah. That's not what we do. We don't try yeah. to predict. Um, we do make bets, but mm -hmm. we don't try to predict. Um, but where I, what I think is a better answer to your question has nothing to do with the pitch. And that has to do with the potential relationship with the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. When, as a technology investor, you sign up and write someone a check, you're signing up for a relationship that will take a minimum of five to seven years. Mm -hmm. You have to count on that. And I ask myself the question, you know, do I want to be locked in a room with Sam Chan for <laughs> five to seven years? Is that going to be fun and stimulating and interesting? And is, am I still going to want to show up Am I going to bounce out of bed and want to help Sam five to seven years from now? As long as the room's not green, I think. As long as the room's, yeah. But that's so, so important. Um, I've rarely seen a company that succeeds in the end exactly along the path that it started with. There's mm -hmm. always a market pivot or a product pivot or some kind of a major pivot. There are personnel mm -hmm. changes on the broader team. Sometimes there's co-founder changes. All these things happen over time. But you're probably going to be in the room in one role or another with that original entrepreneur that pitched you. Does that, does that feel like a good thing? Mm -hmm. And whenever we've made investments that have been difficult for us, um, you know, that's, that has been part of the debrief. Mm -hmm. Is, you know, something in our gut told us that this wasn't a smart idea. Why didn't we listen to ourselves? Mm-hmm. No, that's that's super fair. That's nothing you can put in a in a checklist or into a. It's not, but I think a lot of it. I think I think uh, it's understated. Is is an investor company relationship can be similar to to when you're looking for co-founders. Well, I think a lot of the same things you just talked about applied, and and I I mean we could we could definitely go through another hour just talking about making sure how, how to find the right partner in in, yeah. in the startup sense. But I I think I'm gonna have to bring you back here for that one if you're okay with it, being locked in another seven years. <laughs> um, but I, I guess finally, my last question for me is how can people connect with you and what should they connect with you for? Okay. Well, a uh, couple things. First of all, um, I'm always available at my email. So mm -hmm. it's bernd at northmarkventures.com. Mm -hmm. um, and we encourage anyone that, based on what they've heard here, mm -hmm. that makes them uh, interested in con connecting with us to, to, to shoot me an email. I'm always happy to, to, to look at a deck. And as a matter of fact, I prefer that we start that way, that mm -hmm. you send something in, in writing, um, because that's the best way. It means that you've been able to put your, your, your concept and your past accomplishments down on a piece of paper yep. or on, an, on, an, on a document, and that's helpful. And we'll go from there. Um, I have to tell you, we get like literally, mm -hmm. I'm at 60 or 80 LinkedIn reach outs a, a week, <laughs> 
and it's completely impossible to get back to everyone. And it's mm -hmm. unfortunate. I, I had to make that adjustment. I'm not a naturally rude person, but it's just completely impossible for someone in our, in our situation to provide the quality um, connection back to every single person that reaches out. Mm -hmm. uh, so I apologize in advance to anyone that, that is on the wrong side of that. But mm -hmm. uh, I'm always very, very interested in hearing. It's my job in our firm as investment partner for me to do that first triage of, of things that are inbound. Mm -hmm. um, also, if someone is interested in moving to Vancouver or New York for that matter, and is mm -hmm. interested in the upsides and downsides and mm -hmm. what's good and bad about that, I'm happy to help in that regard. And if anyone is wondering whether Launch Academy is the right organization to, to hitch their wagon to, mm. um, I'm happy to tell them both here and, and, and elsewhere that it's a fantastic organization. I've been involved from day one with, with Launch Academy, and uh, uh, you know I'm not going anywhere. The default when Launch says, can you help, is always yes. Yeah, and we've always, we've always absolutely appreciated that. So I think that's, that's it for today. Hope you guys uh, picked up quite a few gems, and thank you very much, Baron, for your time. Real pleasure. Thank you. All right. We'll see you again soon. Cheers.